to another great episode of The Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Brian, where they talk bourbon and, of course, drink bourbon. Grab yourself a pour, kick back, and enjoy another trip down the bourbon road. We are excited to have back once again for 2023 our sponsor, Seldom Seen Farms, with their bourbon barrel-aged maple syrup. Kevin and his staff there do a wonderful job. We're excited to have them sign on again this year to support the Bourbon Road, and we love their product. And with it being Christmas season, we hope our listeners will visit SeldomSeenMaple.com and check out all they have to offer. A lot of great gifts there bourbon aged maple syrup bourbon barrel aged coffee rickhouse reserve barbecue sauce you can buy it by the bottle you can buy it by the case you can even get bourbon maple candle and they even have maple cotton candy definitely definitely check out seldomseenmaple.com support our sponsors support kevin and his family there they have a 5,000 maple tap operation in Ohio, and they're doing it right. You know, they don't just produce maple syrup. They're also bourbon enthusiasts, and we love them to death. Again, go check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. Kevin and his staff will take care of you. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Road Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Shannon. In the studio with me today is Brian Hyatt, our co-host. Brian, welcome back for another episode. We've got a great day ahead of us here. Thanks, Jim. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, I got to tell you, this uh, this guest and, and, and the book is pretty amazing, so uh, super excited. So in the house today, our guest is a three-timer. He's appeared on the Bourbon Road twice before. He's back now. He's the only guest to have ever experienced a podcast on the Bourbon Road with each of our three co-hosts. So pretty special. We'd like to welcome David Jennings from Rare Bird 101. David, welcome to the Bourbon Road. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate the invite. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Now, each time we've had you on, it's because we had sort of a, let's say, a qualifying event. You know, that first time you had a user meet in Lexington, and uh, you were doing some barrel picks, and Randy and I came down and joined you and recorded an episode there amongst uh, all your ardent fans right yeah that was it was a hell of a time i enjoyed it yeah it was really good the second time we had you on was when you released your first book american spirit that's right and that was a a wild success and now you've got a new book coming out well thank you and uh we're gonna have you back again so all great times all great events and always a good excuse to drink wild turkey whiskey amen as we like to do, we like to get straight to that whiskey and not waste a whole lot of time, let everybody know what's in our glass. We kind of talked a little bit before the show and decided to pick one that we all had readily available. And David, what are we drinking in this first glass? Uh, this is probably my whiskey of the year. And it is, I mean, there's a lot to pick from this year, okay? Um, but... The return of Wild Turkey 101 12-year is a very big deal to me. 
because I think it's, if you look back historically on all the expressions that wild turkey has ever produced, uh, I mean, it's up there, you know, and, you know, going from beyond duplication, cheesy goldful, split label, and then the export labels that where you had like the pseudo split and the, and the unilabel, it just has been quality whiskey every time. And yes, some are better than others. Some people have their favorite CGF, you know, batch or whatever. And I get it, but every 12 year Turkey, every 12 year 101 um, has been excellent. So there was a really high bar for this to come back to uh, and line up with the past, which it did. You know, to my, to my, not so much to my surprise, but to my delight. To your you delight. Know, I didn't know what I was going to get into here. I'm like, you know, I knew it wasn't going to taste like dusty turkey. I mean, we all should have accepted that by now. Like, you know, modern whiskey doesn't taste like dusty whiskey of any brand. Um, so I knew that going into it, but it was, you know, a, I was a little bit nervous on how good it might be. And when I finally tasted it, it was an instant win for me. I was like, this is, you know, it couldn't have been any better. Um, it has a profile that has a, a, a lot of, it, the best way to put it is it has a lot of commonality with Wild Turkey 101 in that it has the same bones. You know, it has the caramel, the vanilla, the oak, and the spice and hints of citrus, right? But it's so much more mature, so much more complex and developed it's it's a huge upgrade. So you're not going to taste the 101 profile, but it does taste like wild turkey. Like there's, it's un, undeniable. Um, but everything is just more complex. So like the vanilla is more like a vanilla bean and the caramel is more like a caramel chew. And the, the oak is more like, a, you know, a, a robust, you know, aged oak, well-aged oak. And the and then it also has like some leather and some medicinal cherry and some notes that you don't find necessarily in regular old 101. Um, but this bottle sells for like 60, 65 bucks in Japan um, and a little bit higher in, in uh, Korea and, and Australia, depending on, on the day and where you get it from. Uh, and it's 700 milliliters. So it's, it's 50 milliliter shive, a domestic 101 bottling. But, uh, you know, comparing it to Russell's 13, and Master's Keep, um, I just think this one is uh, not that it's better, but to me, it, it's, it deserves more accolades because it, it had an uphill battle here because it hasn't been out for 10 years. And, you know, for to come back and to be such an impressive pour, I think it deserves a lot of praise. So there you go. For me, Whiskey of the year is probably going to be one one twelve. Wow, that's that's a surprise. That's I didn't expect that, uh, and the reason I didn't expect that is because Brian and I haven't tasted it yet. Though so this is a fresh really? crack. This is a fresh crack for us. Yeah, we just okay. got the bottle. We just got the bottle three or four days ago. No, about a week ago, I guess. And so we're pretty excited to drink what yeah. you might call, yeah, the whiskey of the year. So well, I hope uh, you're not disappointed because I knew I, I I really set it up for you there. You but. did. I mean, I got I got goosebumps right now because <laughs> <laughs> I've got a it, pretty good pour here. It's good. It's good stuff. Like it, I will I will say that to those listening who haven't tried it, if you did try the Masters Keep Bottled and Bond, imagine that 
but sweeter. So it's like, you know, it's not quite as much leather and oak. It's there. It's just dialed back a little bit. Um, So it fits nice and snug between the 101 that you're used to and the Masters Keep Bottled and Bond. It's like right in the middle there. And it's just a, you know, maybe leaning a little bit more towards the bottom bond, but uh, just a lovely, lovely complex profile. All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and taste it. Yeah, I mean, there there's <laughs> there is nothing to criticize about that whiskey right there. Yeah, it's it's um, really got a nice floral nose. Yeah, it it's it's impressive from nose to finish. Um, and, and it's, it's crazy that this is an expression that can be found overseas fairly cheap. Um, I mean, cheap compared to a lot of other things. Oh, gee, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, I got a little bit of cherry on the nose before I took my first sip, but that baking spice is really well-rounded in there. I think. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's everything that anyone loves about 101, just with a huge upgrade. Yeah, I'd have to say I agree. Now, 101 is uh, kind of in my kitchen pantry all the time. That's my, you know, I've got a bar downstairs, but I also keep a few bottles in my pantry because they need to be at hand. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wild Turkey 101 is always there. Usually it's the only bottle in there, but but sometimes it's got, I've got another one there. Sometimes a... A, another bottle in bond and like a JTS Brown or something, something easy and not too expensive, but I just, I really love the brown sugar on the palate on this. It's, 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 I mean, the, the whole, I mean, obviously the age is the big deal here, right? So you've got 12 years and, and because it's 12 years, that doesn't mean that it's only 12 years. It could be 14 year, 15 year whiskey in here. You don't know. Um, it, it, but it, it really, gives it that depth that you don't get in 101. Like 101 is, don't get me wrong, um, domestic 101 is fantastic. It's the best workhorse whiskey out there. Um, it, it holds up in blinds. Um, you can use it for cocktails, cooking, mixing drinks, neat, whatever you want to do. You know, it, it, it checks all those boxes. But, you know, as far as complexity goes, it it's it really hovers around that traditional bourbon profile with your vanilla, your caramel, you know, your baking spice, some oak, and and uh, maybe some citrus, you know, hints of fruity notes there. Um, doesn't have a lot of the the layers that you get in this one one twelve. So you can really peel this like an onion. I mean, it's just molasses, the clove and the leather notes like mm-hmm. this has. When do those start right. to really show up? You know, the only way to really judge that would be to to get some single barrels and like Russell single barrels and, and taste them as they progress. And a good way to do that is with Camp Nelson picks uh, yeah. because you can find them in 2018 that are eight years, 2019 for nine, 2020 for 10, et cetera, et cetera. So you can take all those private selections of different ages and as long as they're the same rickhouse and floors, so like Camp Nelson A or F, and you line up the different years and the and the floors, and give yourself a kind of like a, a walk through time, you'll start seeing where the oak becomes a, a larger role in the profile, 
and gives you those leather notes and the medicinal cherry notes. Um, it, it's a fun thing to do, and I've I've done it before, just having a bunch of them around. I haven't sat down and said, "Okay, I'm going to map out," you know, Camp Nelson F. But it's funny because with single barrels, they're not exactly the best way to do it because you know one barrel can have qualities that maybe a barrel next to it didn't have. Sure. And I have tasted some some CNFs that tasted almost over oaked at 10 years. And then I've tasted CNFs that are 12 plus years and it's just perfect. So it's like, you really don't know. Um, but, uh, I think that traditionally, if you go back and you sip 101, 12 year, doesn't really matter which the label, whatever the label is. Uh, the Oak has always been the, the backbone of the expression. You know, you've had this sweet oak quality that brings with it notes like medicinal cherry and antique leather and tobacco and things like that. So uh, I was glad when I first tasted this that it did that. Does it taste like 101.12 from 2012 or 2001 or 1991? No, it doesn't taste like those. But, you know, you can taste a similar volume of oak influence and that it's matured you know correctly like it wasn't just well let's just batch a bunch of 12 year whiskey or whatever and you know we'll just throw it out there um it 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 was done right yeah well i know the finish is the finish seems to like go on forever on this it's got kind of a maybe a dry cherry and a anise kind of anise on the finish a little bit like a licorice uh, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah licorice or um but it, but it's never bitter no it's definitely not bitter and it's not really that drying either on the back end you don't get that that right. kind of oaky dry dryness that you get from some from some older expressions i think it is a well-balanced whiskey it's something that i enjoy drinking i can't really break it down uh beyond that i just need to spend more time with it but i I'm pretty impressed by it, and I'm glad I yeah. got the bottle. I hope I can get another one because this is one of those. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, I, I got my decades bottle a while back, and and I've managed to vi- revisit it on rare enough occasions where I still have half the bottle. So it's nice when you don't when you have something in your library you can go back and try again. I, there's always that sinking feeling when something's gone forever and you can't you can't taste it right. anymore. So. Right, and and what's interesting about decades is. That's kind of it, it's funny because you know we have Russell's Reserve single rick house, right? So single rick house is like the big release this year is two hundred and fifty dollars, giving you that DNA snapshot of what a single aging location at Wild Turkey produces, um, which I think is a really cool idea, and I'm glad they did that. Um, but in a way, decades is not necessarily single Rick house, but it's almost single Rick house. It was McBrayer. So the barrels aged at McBrayer, which I think there's three standing and two that they're really using. So, you know, it's like double Rick house. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but you know, it's, it gives you a interesting profile because of that. So you taste decades and, you know, obviously it tastes like wild Turkey, but it has its own unique characteristics that, make it taste different from this one one twelve, you know? 
Um, it, that's not just age. It's, it's a lot to do with where it was, you know, aged at. Well, Dave, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to this episode right now who are pretty familiar with you, your blog, your books, uh, your appearances on a number of podcasts. But there's also going to be a few people who are saying, who's who's David Jennings? You know, who's Rare Bird 101? I mean, I hear him talking about wild turkey here, but where did this guy come from? So my question to you is, you know, what's that what's that 10,000 foot view? Who is David Jennings and, and, and where did it all start? Um, well, I mean, in a nutshell, um, today, you know, I, I consider myself an author, you know, a writer, uh, a whiskey enthusiast, uh, a wild turkey super fan. That, that's, that's who I am. I don't consider myself an expert. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not formally educated in whiskey. Um, I, I came into this hobby like most people do which is just going online and reading about various expressions or having some friends share pours with you. And, and it, you know, kind of stirs up interest and you have to kind of satisfy that interest. So you go to the liquor store and you try different things and, you know, you make wise purchases and you make unwise purchases. And, you know, that's kind of how it all began for me was just, you know, having some whiskey with my brother-in-law and after years of drinking whiskey in a mixed drink, I tried it on the rocks and loved it. Did not miss having Coke in it or ginger ale and decided I was going to go find the best whiskey and went on this search, this this uh, voyage that we all take to try to find the best whiskey in the world. Of course, that doesn't really exist um, because everyone's got their own personal preferences. So there is no best whiskey in the world. The best whiskey in the world is whatever makes you happy at the time. It's, it's, it's relative. It's, it's not, uh, you know, a finite thing. Um, so uh, after some time exploring various whiskeys, I found Reddit's our bourbon forum because I'd kind of started leaning towards bourbon as what I considered kind of my favorite of the whiskeys I'd tried out of Scotch, Irish, Canadian, whatever, and um, started writing reviews for Reddit and had a different handle at the time. But I mean, I was reviewing anything I, I could find and found myself really enjoying wild turkey because it was a surprise because I remembered Wild Turkey. I went to college in the mid nineties and at that time, Wild Turkey was, that was what you did, you know, before you went out for the night, you know, you had Wild Turkey one-on-one shots, you know? Um, (laughs) And uh, it wasn't in my mind, a whiskey that one might enjoy, you know, in, in a formal sense. And I tried it because I picked up like a little bottle at checkout with the intention of reviewing it and probably destroying it. Um, you know, giving it a negative review because it was going to be rot gut or something. And turns out I was mistaken, uh, very much so. And I enjoyed it, uh, more than a lot of the other whiskeys I paid a lot for. Sure. And I was like, wow, I've got to get more of this. And I started talking about it and people were chiming in and, uh, one kind uh, person, internet stranger, uh, had asked me if I had tried Dusty Turkey, and 
course, I said no, not at least not in the sense, you know, that he meant because, I mean, yeah, I had it in college. But uh, he sent me some samples. It was a 1981-1018 year, which sounds like you've got one of those, Jim. Yeah. And uh, you lucky bastard. And um, <laughs> I've got uh, – and, and then he sent me a, a 92 Cheesy Goldful 101-12 year. And both of those just sent me down a path of, of just wanting to find that profile again. And, of course, I tried. And, of course, you're not going to find that dusty profile on the shelf. I didn't know that at the time. But it, it doesn't matter because what I found were profiles that I enjoyed. Um, so, you know, got into Russell's, got into Russell's picks and and uh, the rise, uh, you know, from single barrel rye and 101 rye. And, I mean, I just went through the whole catalog and started writing a lot of wild turkey reviews. And next thing you know, that's like all I was reviewing on Reddit was wild turkey. And um, I thought, well, you know, I probably ought to like archive these somewhere because it's like I've got this collection, you know, of wild turkey. And I'd, I probably had about 24, 25 reviews. And I started a blog on WordPress and uploaded all those Reddit reviews and added some pictures for the ones I didn't have pictures for. And it just kind of started getting attention. Um, I guess people were searching for wild turkey reviews. And um, it grew faster than I ever imagined. Like it wasn't my intention to have like, I wasn't trying to be breaking bourbon or something. You know, it was just, I was just putting them out there. And uh, and it got some attention. And then I decided, well, maybe I'll start kind of doing some things on social media. So I started an Instagram and then eventually I started Twitter and you know, a number of people following grew and, you know, built this network of turkey fans. And we started trading samples and trying things I'd never tried before. And, you know, people would see I had holes in my reviews like, well, you must not have ever reviewed this one. Do you you want to you know review it? And they would send me samples of things I probably would never get my hands on and uh, started a Patreon. And uh, that has grown over time and here I am now, you know, I've got two books under me and uh, a lot ahead that I'm working on and never imagined that, you know, this is what I'd be doing full time, but it is. And, um, you know, I owe a lot of thanks to the people that have supported me through the years for making that possible. Uh, like, like this podcast. Thank you. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the, 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 the overview Oh, David, I've got kind of a quick question for you. And then I know Brian's got a couple of things, but okay. uh, my quick question has to do with your first few Reddit posts. When you okay. first started posting your thoughts on tastings on Reddit, okay. uh, how was that for you? Was that like a liberating experience? Was that tensive? <laughs> no, I mean, okay. So um, the very first thing I reviewed, if I recall correctly, was Smooth Ambler Old Scout 10-year. This is back when you could find the good stuff, you know, nothing against Smooth Ambler now, but you have to admit the stuff that they were cranking out from the beginning that was, you know, from MGP was amazing. Yeah. So, uh, it was a Smooth Ambler Old Scout 10 year. And I remember doing the tasting notes and feeling like I was a dumbass because I was reading like Whiskey Advocate and just various whiskey books and all these folks had these really fancy tasting notes and I couldn't relate to any of that. Like 
I didn't know what, you know, this certain flower from the Amazon jungle smells like or whatever. <laughs> like none of that stuff, you know, like, you know, a certain brand of peppermint from like France, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't get those things. Like, you know, to me, it's, it's very simple stuff, like things I can relate to, like things that I've consumed and smelled my entire life, you know, so vanilla, I can relate to cornbread and maple syrup. And these types of notes are things. And sometimes I get wacky notes, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, a, a certain type of, you know, plastic or whatever, you know, it's, you just, what, you know, you, you, you can only put what you can relate to. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, I felt inadequate. Like I felt like my tasting notes were really, you know, poor man tasting notes. <laughs> Is and, it a little bit of imposter syndrome maybe? Yeah. Like I felt like I, I didn't belong in that circle. Like I'm, I'm an intruder and, but I put it out there and with each review, I felt more and more confident that how I was describing the whiskey was right, or at least right for me. So, you know, I encourage anyone out there that's interested in, you know, reviewing a whiskey or providing tasting notes, don't be afraid to just say exactly what you feel. And don't feel like you have to name 10 notes either. Like, you know, if like, if all you get on the nose is vanilla and that's it, then just say, I get a big, you know, uh, smell of vanilla, you know, and like, let that be your note. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's um, real. It's real. And, 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 and really what matters most is explaining to the reader how you feel about it because you can list a thousand notes and at some point in time, it's just a sea of adjectives and verbs. You know, it's like there's, there's nothing really like, uh, or adjectives and nouns, I should say, maybe a, a, the occasional verb, but like, you know, it, it's, you get lost in it. You know, d does anyone really take tasting notes that seriously either? Like, it gives you a snapshot of what you might taste, but you know, it's not like, you know, you're like, this is the Bible truth of this whiskey. Like, you know, I never read a review and, and think these are the exact notes I'm going to get. You know, it's always kind of like, okay, I get where you're going with this. I, I see a lot of citrus stuff on here, so it must have a really citrusy vibe. How do you feel about it? And that matters just as much, if not more than your tasting notes. So if you're, you know, just starting out doing whiskey reviews, don't get too caught up in the notes thing. Don't try to like, you know, describe things in ways that are foreign to you. Just describe it as best you can. Um, and then tell people how you feel about it. Cause that's where they're really gonna, you know, kind of lock in with you or disagree with you. <laughs> and, uh, that's another thing too, is, is, uh, be, it's okay for people to disagree with you. Don't don't feel like you have to defend your review. If 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 you really really like a whiskey and other people hate it, that's cool. That's fine, you know. And the and the inverse is true. So if you really hated a whiskey and everybody else loves it, I mean, if you're being honest, you know, uh that's that's the truth, you know. You're not wrong, you know. So anyway, uh, just, just be tough and, and, uh, you know, stand by your opinion. Yeah, David, I think that a lot of people can really, uh, get on board with that. And, and it probably makes people feel, <clears throat> you know, a lot more, uh, confident when they do speak up. Cause you know, a lot of times you get in certain settings and you want to make sure that, you know, you're not missing the mark. And, and, you know, I've been in a lot of different settings and, and had the, 
the fortune of of tasting some very old uh, dusties and and you hear all these different notes and everything and, and sometimes you know you just like you said you pick up something very simple mm-hmm. uh, and and either you like it or you don't like it uh, and it can be a very uncomfortable situation for some folks and as they continue to taste and and get more comfortable with it uh, you tend to relax a little bit and some other things start popping out and and then you can speak a little bit more to those things. So, yeah. So I, I think our listeners uh, probably love hearing that. And, and it just gives them, uh, you know, the ability to know that they can jump in and, and do different things uh, yeah. with tasting and, and not be and worried about missing the mark. Right, right. And don't, and, uh, and I mean, the more you do it, the more confident you'll get. Um, and a good way to do that too is, to explore like really wildly different things like go from like a peated scotch, you know, to like, uh, you know, a, um, you know, like a, a super sweet bourbon and, and they're totally different and, and you're going to get totally different notes or like, uh, something that's finished, you know, like something that's finished in, I don't know, like a VDN or sherry or rum or something where, you're going to get these extremely different notes from an expression or a style, a spirit style that you're used to. Um, or you could even like just really get outside of it and, and do something that's not even whiskey. Like you could, you know, try whiskey or I'm sorry, tequila or, uh, you know, cognac or whatever. And like these things help your palate kind of like figure out, you know, how notes come across differently. Um, so like, um, a grape note that you might get in a bourbon is not going to be necessarily the same grape note that you might get in a cognac, um, you know, or the sugar cane that you get, uh, in a rum, you know, like a heavy syrupy sugar, uh, is not the same syrupy sugar that you might get in a bourbon that where you might describe it as syrupy sugar, but it's not exactly the same, but just, just having your palate explore different spirits and different uh, styles of whiskey, um, different ages of whiskey, different finishes, all that kind of stuff will help you express um, those tasting notes uh, the more you do it. So just, just an idea. That's how it's, it's helped me. I definitely agree with that. I think one of the first ones that I kind of branched out on was uh, Ron Zacapa XO rum. And that one kind of, you know, it, it was kind of a curveball for me. Somebody threw it in in a blind tasting, and you know we had all everything lined up was bourbon except for that. And you know it really does uh, take you down a different road, and you mm-hmm. do start to pick out uh, different flavor profiles when you do that. So yeah, yeah, and um, I I used to not like rum at all. Like I was just a not a rum fan, and it wasn't that long ago when I started kind of veer in that direction and going, hmm, you know, I do find some redeemable qualities in this. And turns out what it was is, you know, not all rums are created equal, just like all whiskeys aren't created equal, but but even more so with rum because of dosing and these types of things where you have to kind of get a little bit more nerdy and and figure out, well, these are the ones that are going to be more what you're probably going to 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 appreciate over the others. So 
once I started, I think it was a, a real McCoy 12 year that was like the first one I tasted. And I was like, oh, this kind of has some dusty bourbon qualities to it. And uh, I was getting some of that same kind of like cellar oak, fermented fruit, um, that proverbial dusty funk. Um, and so that turned me on that. I still haven't uh, gotten into tequila. I've tasted tequila. I've tried. I should probably keep trying. But so far to date, I'm kind of railing Givens on the on the tequila. So <laughs> not really my my thing yet, but maybe one day. I think Brian and I both love to drink a little tequila. I always say that I always say that gin is my other bourbon. I love gin. And I, I don't know why. I think it's because of the variety of florals that can be introduced to it. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I mean everybody has their other bourbon, I guess. And maybe it sounds like your other bourbon might be uh might be rum or maybe even a scotch well, whiskey, huh? No, it I think if 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 like Bourbon just disappeared suddenly. Well, let's just say whiskey disappeared because I would just get a raft bourbon disappeared. But like, so let's say, you know, it just, it disappeared. I would, I would definitely move probably to Armagnac next or French brandy, cognac, Armagnac, um, even Calvados um, would probably be the second thing for me. And then, then third would be um, like Jamaican rum, like a funky rum. Wow. Cool. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, I just finished off my pour of this uh, 2022 export 12 year and uh, man, it's delicious. I am so glad I still have like two thirds of a bottle here after I shared out some samples (laughs) because I'm going to visit this on occasion. I hope it doesn't disappear too quick. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you know, acquiring a bottle of this, right? It's not easy to get. No. You say it's $65 or so. Japan, overseas right. right but by the time you fly there or you have a friend ship it to you taking those chances to get it overseas uh, it gets quite a bit more expensive so what would you say is a reasonable price for somebody to pay oh to okay get their- i mean i would say you know okay so you're getting 700 milliliters uh as opposed to 750 in a in a domestic bottling and masters keeps are going for 200 bucks now basically yeah. i think that if you're under 200 it's probably worth buying i would say i would feel comfortable more in the 120 to 150 range would be something that like i would not have a problem coming off that to buy a bottle at all once you start getting over 150, it gets to be, okay, how desperate am I to have this? <laughs> um, but certainly crossing that $200 mark, and I think that's a little bit too much, in my opinion. So, Well, David, um, you validated my purchase because okay. I spent I spent 149 so I feel like I, I, just, I just got inside the, you know, the reasonable you range there. So you yeah. must have got, did you pick it up at Neat? I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that I thought that was a very fair price. Um, so yeah, you did good. Um, and, and it's worth it in my opinion. I mean, the, the profile, uh, speaks to that. If it didn't, I would not recommend people picking it up, but it does. All right. Well, it's been a great first half, David. You've really, uh, given us kind of this, uh, this view into your sort of where you okay. come from. And, and, and in the second half, we'd like to, 
obviously pour some more whiskey, but okay. uh, talk a little bit more about, you know, kind of what you've got going on now and what's happening sure. in, in, in your world and what's what we can plan on for the future. So let's take a short break and we come back, folks. More of uh, David Jennings and Rare Bird 101. Folks, we definitely encourage you to check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. That's Seldom Seen Farms. Kevin and his staff there are doing a fantastic job. And like we said at the beginning of the show, you know, they've got a 5,000 maple tap operation. They're a first-generation farm with a passion to produce the very best maple products available. They've won so many awards, and they have a very special, unique aging method for their syrup and for the barrel-aged coffee. They provide quality at a very affordable price. You know, they're not a maple factory or a co-packer. Kevin and his staff there are farmers with a passion for maple. Like I said before, Kevin is a bourbon enthusiast. He's not just a paid sponsor. He's a friend of the show. He's a roadie. And he loves helping roadies get down the bourbon road. Make sure you check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. You know, they're constantly producing great bourbon-aged maple syrups using barrels from the very best distilleries. They also return those barrels to the distilleries. Afterwards, distilleries like New Riff, Leaper's Fork, Treaty Oak Distilling, the Bar Distillery, Pine Bluffs Distilling, Mystic Farm and Distillery, Jay Riger, so many more to come. Kevin and his staff there are just spreading the love, spreading the maple syrup, making it happen. And you know, at the end of the day, those Barrels that age that maple syrup get refilled with some wonderful bourbon and make some great maple-finished bourbon whiskey. How awesome is that? Definitely check out SeldomSeenMaple.com. Get you some. So we are back. Uh, this is a fantastic episode. We got David Jennings in the house from Rare Bird 101 in the first half. We got a chance to sip on a little bit of Wild Turkey 101 12 year, the export for 2022. David called that out as possibly his his pour of the year, right? Yeah, whiskey of the year, possibly. Wow. Wow. It means it's it's high on the list to become that, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 up there with like uh, the new Masters Keep. Yeah, awesome. Well, in the second half, it's going to be tough to beat, but I think we all have a different pour to drink from. Yep. And uh, I guess we'll just each take turns and and talk about what okay. we're drinking. I'll start with you, David. Okay, so I'm sipping on a barrel that I helped pick at Wild Turkey. It's a Russell's Reserve selection. It's called uh, Lawrenceburg and Loretto. And this was selected with uh, uh, some of my Patreon supporters, as well as uh, Denny Potter, Jane Bowie, um, Trevor Bowles from Maker's Mark, or I guess Denny and Jane formerly of Maker's Mark, um, Ryan Alves of Justin's House of Bourbon, and Pablo Moy from uh, Rare Character, along with Bruce Russell. And it's a 10-year uh, Rick House E 
fourth floor barrel and uh, just has this really complex, uh, very unique profile in comparison to like your kind of core turkey, I guess you would say. Um, all those Rickhouse E-barrels that came out in 20 uh, were very different. They had like really kind of strange notes like tropical fruits and and fruit loops and juicy fruit gum and all kinds of oddities. And this is that same whiskey, but with another, you know, two and a half years to it or two, two, two to two and a half years added to it. And uh, it's really, it rounded off some of those kind of brighter, sharper edges of like the tropical fruit, which kind of brings it down more into like an orchard fruit or like a blood orange and these types of things. And then um, I even get some chocolate on this. Uh, I got a lot of chocolate in the Rick house whenever we picked it as did Jane, but with the water added, it's kind of changed a little bit because, uh, you know, these are bottled at 110, so it's not sure. full barrel proof, um, but it's still there. It's a milk, like a milk chocolate note. Um, just like a, like if it, it's imagine like if you open, you know, you, you get those Valentine candy boxes and the heart box, whatever. And it's the variety pack, you know, where you have like the everything, like the, the dark chocolate, the milk chocolate, the fruity stuff, the cream stuff, the nutty stuff, all of it in there, right? Yeah. But you know what it smells like when you first break the cellophane wrap and you open that box and you get that smell? Mm-hmm. That's what this nose is like. It's like chocolate, fruity, nutty, just some of everything, creamy, all in that, that nose. And uh, just... It was it was my favorite that day outside of a almost 13 year barrel that Justin's ended up getting because as bad as I wanted it, it just didn't have a yield to it because it, it, Bruce could barely thief the whiskey. It was like there was so oh, little yeah. bourbon That's in rough. the barrel. I was yeah. I was like, well, I didn't want to waste, you know, a barrel allocation on something that, you know, 30 patrons might get. Sure. So sure. I passed on it. But, you know, this was my favorite of that day. Um, and, uh, as well as Jane, it was her favorite. And, um, you know, I just, it's, it's a special whiskey to me because there's a lot of memories associated with it and, uh, just had a hell of a trip that this, this was selected in, um, March of last or this March of this year. And, um, must've been kind of a unique situation to have Denny and Jane there for makers it it really it was neat. It was it, it it's hard to explain. I mean, they're so normal, but I mean, like when I normal, it's kind of a bad word. But those two are off the hook. When I say normal, I mean like they're just average like folks. Like they're not. They don't come across like snooty or you know. I'm a master, you know, distiller. I'm a master taster or whatever. There's none of that there at all. They're just like they're just ex- as excited about doing. The turkey barrel pick is me and stuff, you know, it's like we're all just like shooting the shit and having a great time. And um, it was a it was a, it was a wonderful day. And what made it even cooler was like so like the distillery was closed. So everything was locked up. Jimmy had to come let us in. So Jimmy had to go like to the <laughs> security and like and let us in. And he drives down to the Rick houses and he meets us down there. And we chit chat with him for a little while before we you know, head on in. Um, so it, it was a really special day. Um, and you know, it was, I felt like I was, even though I was with, uh, 
some folks I, I'd known for only a short period of time and some folks I had just met that day. Um, I felt like I was with old friends. Um, like I felt like I knew Denny and Jane for years, even though I had just met them that day. And it was, it was a hell of a time. I think they have that effect on people. And the other thing about Denny and Jane is they really feed off each other, right? They really, like, they can really get going and they're picking at each other, but at the same time, they're having fun, right? It happened quick. (laughs) It was like, (laughs) it was, it was like, you know, it wasn't one of those ease in things. It was like they were just full on. uh, It was, everybody was, we were all buddies very quickly. It was, it was a hell of a time. Like I said, it was, I enjoyed everything of it. Wish I could go back and, and relive it. Well, Brian, what do you got in your glass? I have uh, the Kentucky Spirit from 2019, Warehouse K, uh, Rick number six. And so this is one that obviously I'd have, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great bottle, but I've had, had it sitting on the shelf for quite a while. Uh, never, never cracked it until the day after Thanksgiving this year. So decided to, to jump into it and uh, Jim was over at my house and we were able to to taste that together so so very cool bottle really enjoyed it it's going a little bit faster than i would like it to go at this point but uh that's for a very good reason a little bit you know that i've been able to pick out from this bottle is just that uh you know it's obviously has its oak flavors and everything uh the orange pill is a little bit something that uh jumps out to me uh, that I don't always pick up in other bottles, but in, in this one, I definitely do. So uh, I feel like it's a it's a great drink. Uh, I really enjoy it. And compared to the other Kentucky spirits I've had, I actually like this one a uh, little bit more than the others. Awesome. You know, uh, something about Rickhouse K, uh, it's what I call like the wild card Rickhouse. So you can get notes that you're talking about, like citrus notes. You can get like wild berry notes. I've had K barrels that come across very like raspberry, cranberry type. And then I've had some that are just super dark and rich and, you know, toasted brown sugar and molasses. It's quite the uh, interesting uh, aging location because you never really know what you're going to get. And, and another throwback to, you know, Jim, you had mentioned the other episodes I've been on. I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but. You know, Randy and you and I were sipping a whiskey bear Russell's Reserve from Rickhouse K yes. back in that first episode. So um, that's kind of a cool little tie-in there. Absolutely. And that was a good pick, too. Damn, that was a good pick. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some pretty phenomenal picks from there that just just blow my mind. I've never had anything that was subpar, ever. That was a killer one. I had to go like after we did that episode, I had to get one. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was great. And like, you know, because there were some heavy pours that day. I don't know if you remember. I mean, we had some killer stuff. We had like split label, 12 year, CGF, we had Dusty 1018, we had single cast nation stuff. Like we had a lot of good stuff that day. And for that, duplication you had there. I mean, yep. there were some things there were just just phenomenal. Things that I'd never had an opportunity to try before and and your uh your crew there let's just call them your crew they were very uh generous in sharing what they had oh yeah you brought a lot you'd brought a lot too so it was yeah pretty everybody nice. pitched in and uh I like you know some of the stuff that w- that people were bringing like i remember scott early brought like sherry's signature and 
I think he brought the one in one seventeen year, like you know, from two thousand one. Just just stuff that like nowadays would fetch a pretty hefty price tag. Sure, um, sure. And people were just sharing it among each other. It was a great night. Um, we had another meetup this year, um, and it was even more folks and and the same kind of thing. Just people being very generous um, with their whiskey, and that that's the best part about this hobby is how it's more about you know taking a, a special whiskey and giving it to other people so sure. they can experience what you've experienced and like seeing that smile on their face or getting that feedback from them and not worrying about well you know gosh they're probably sipping about 50 bucks right now like that doesn't even cross your mind because you're more interested in you know having that person feel that same, you know, sense of satisfaction that you did when you've tasted it. So that's the best thing about the hobby is the friendship, the fellowship, um, people being generous and, and sharing. And it's awesome. I mean, the, 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 the flipping stuff, the money stuff, whatever, you know, this is, this is where it's at. I mean, if you're buying bottles and they end up on your shelf, gathering dust and and you don't really ever want to open them because you're scared to crack the seal on it there's not a lot of fun in that nope. uh, maybe the maybe the thrill of the hunt to get it but then then it's over mm-hmm. uh, and then if you're sipping on those bottles by yourself and enjoying them you get that pleasure of the taste but you don't get the pleasure mm-hmm. of sharing that with others i mean the ultimate good feelings the ultimate like gratification comes when you pour somebody else something from a bottle you have that you yep. know they're likely not to get and they get to experience that. I mean, that's it. That's where that's yep. where that's where it happens. That's where the magic happens for me. Yep. It really does. It, 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 that's true. And while I get that, like, I don't feel like everyone should have to to like open every bottle that they have. Like, I, I know there's sure. people out there that like peer pressure and they're like, well, you need to open it. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you can't open every single bottle that you have. Um, especially when you get to like a level of having 150 plus bottles, you know, you don't want to open every one of them because, you know, you want them to, you, you can only drink so much. I mean, you only got yeah. one liver, you know? So and I have no problem with people saving bottles for special occasions or meetups or whatever. Sealed bottles aren't bad things, but you know, if you're not sharing your whiskey, whatever whiskey you have that you're, you know, currently enjoying, then you're missing out. Um, Cause there's a lot, there's a lot more fun stuff that happens in fellowship than you'll ever have. Like you said, by yourself. Um, so, and some of the best pours I've had by myself are like everyday stuff. <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. it's <laughs> like, you know, like, damn, this one one's kicking ass tonight, you know? And like, sometimes that is like the best feeling in the world, isn't it? Like, I, I tell you, so right now, for those listening, if you want to go into a store and have like this feeling of like, you know, like being on top of the world, go into the liquor store and look around. Of course, if they have something cool that you want to try or something allocated that you lucked out on or whatever, by all means, get it if you're paying a good price, whatever. But nine times out of 10, when you go in, it's the same old stuff you see every time, right? Well, if you want to go in and feel like a winner, go in buy a handle of wild turkey 101 and tell me that doesn't feel good walking out with that like there's just something about walking out of a liquor store with a handle of wild turkey 101 that just i mean 
that's just win. That's just a win. <laughs> I mean, you know, so anyway, just, yeah. just a suggestion for those out there. All right. So what I have in my glass is the uh, Master's Keep Bottle and Bond 17 year. And uh, this is something that I'm getting. I've got maybe an ounce left. So I, I put a pretty healthy pour in this glass wow. and then I've got maybe an ounce remaining and then I'll be done with it. But that's okay. Uh, I may or may not find another bottle of it. Sometimes you find this stuff out there, like I was saying earlier. You can get lucky. Yeah, you can get lucky. Uh, for me on this one, it's kind of a grilled cherry. Uh, the citrus is a little light on it for me, but uh, it is smoky. It's got that smoky nose to it. Yep, a lot of char. Um, for for the for the palate, I, I get I get whorehound candy, and I I know listeners. I say whorehound candy a lot, but anytime I get that root beer or sassafras kind of note, mm-hmm. I like to say whorehound because whorehound yep. is just one of my favorites. You know, you can, I, I you would can say, find it at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> you can't find it at Cracker Barrel. That's true. Um, I get I get a little bit of orange on it, orange peel, if you want to call yeah. it that, but a little bit more on the palate than I got on the nose from the citrus on the nose. And then I get this. Uh, so, you know, when you eat a creme brulee, you got that crust yeah. on top. Yep. Okay. J- just the crust, not, yeah. not the creamy custard that. underneath, but yeah. just the crust on top. Yeah. Uh, I think the finish is probably just medium on this, but it's medium to long, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I really love it. Yeah, it's a good whiskey. Is one of the best things that Wild Turkey's ever bottled, ever. And that's surely one of the best things that Eddie has ever been involved in. Like, if you want to talk about crowning achievements of Eddie Russell, that bottled and bond master's keep is is way up there. Like probably right under nineteen ninety eight, like Russell's nineteen ninety eight. Yep. Um, as far as you know, bearing Eddie's name. Really knocked it out of the park with that one. Now, granted, you have to like a mature whiskey. So if you don't like mature whiskey, um, it's probably not going to be your jam because there is a lot of oak to it. Um, there is, and and, and it, but it's done right. And and you know, I, it, I I really should stress that to folks out there is that like it's okay to not like mature whiskey. Like I think some people, you know, they they've kind of have this in their mind that the older the whiskey, the better. And that is not necessarily true. Jimmy would tell you that that's not true, (laughs) you know? Um, But if you do like an older whiskey, if you like that, you know, heavy, like you're talking about sassafras and antique leather and charred oak, if those notes speak to you, then mature whiskey is where it's at. The trick is having a mature whiskey that, retains a sweetness that isn't bitter um, that isn't drying that doesn't leave you needing a sip of water after you've tasted it sure it doesn't taste like pencil shavings or anything like that so and that's hard to do with bourbon you know it's it's not like scotch where you have the environment where, where the stuff can sit in and, and they can use you know uh, barrels that have you know x barrels you know x bourbon x sherry whatever um it's tricky. You know, Kentucky has a, a, a climate where it gets very hot in the summer and very cold in the winter. And, you know, it really burns through that wood. And uh, so bourbon doesn't do so well as it gets in the teens. And you have to really keep an eye on it and, um, you know, move them to lower floors and, and baby them, baby those barrels. It's not, uh, uh, you know, either you get lucky or... 
you know, you, you're mindful, but it's one of the two. Yeah, I think if you can get your hands on a bottle of this, you should definitely grab it. If you can get it at retail sure. or or close to retail, I mean, the cherry survives all the way to the finish, mm-hmm. and uh, and you get a little bit of burnt marshmallow, and I just I just like it. And you're right, it's not overly drying at the end. It's not like you know, it's that that's a song that plays over and over again with older whiskeys as they get yep. that dry that dry finish on them. Yeah, and this is just wonderful. It's really good, and I'm I'm sad to see. Well, I'm sad to, to see that last ounce sitting there, but I'm going to enjoy that last ounce for sure. Save it for something special. I will. <laughs> All right, David. Well, you know, in the second half, we kind of like to talk a little bit more about what our guest has going on today and what's exciting in their in their lives and their brand and, and the work that they do. And we all know that you have a new book coming out that has had initial release but kind of a limited release and and it's on pre-order now but can you tell us a little bit about your new project yeah okay so uh about two years ago i started thinking about what am i going to do for the fifth anniversary of my blog uh because i started the blog in 2016 and you know a lot of people they'll do things like a single barrel bottling or um you know maybe like a party or something you know and I was trying to figure out what am I going to do? And I got to looking at, you know, my work over the years. And I had at that time when I was looking at my blog, I had over 300,000 words worth of material there. And I thought, well, surely, you know, there is 50,000 words in here that are worthy of kind of memorializing in print. Um, and, and I took the idea in, in, in a lot of ways from Chuck Caldry because Chuck has some books that are compilations of blog posts um, or compilations from, you know, uh, the Bourbon Country Reader or whatever. And so I, I felt like I could do this, but if I'm going to do it, I didn't want to just regurgitate stuff that anyone could just find online. I wanted to kind of make it special. So... I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll talk to Vic about doing some new photography and I'll go through each post and not only will I edit it, um, I'll kind of add my director's cut to it. So we're like, I'm, I'm putting my notes and the story behind the post, you know, or uh, maybe a story about what happened after I posted it or why I even wrote it in the first place. Um, so that's w- what became Wild Tricky Musings. And I, I put a Kickstarter out there last year and said, hey, I want to do this book for, you know, the fifth anniversary of my blog. And uh, the the response was overwhelming. I mean, I had uh, a greater uh, fundraiser than I did for my first book, American Spirit. And uh, so I knew when that happened, I really had to dial up the quality. I'm like, okay, well, this is a lot more people interested in this than I thought there would be. So now I've really got to make sure that it's special. So I, I, I talked to Ricky, who designed the first book. And even though he did not work for the publisher, I, I, you know, my publisher anymore, I wanted to use him. And uh, I told Ricky that I have this vision. Uh, my son, there's this pirate book that I used to read to him as a kid and it had this look to it. And I'll, I want to make this whiskey book look like that pirate book without being a pirate book. And... Um, he did a incredible job designing a book that had that feel where it was like a journal um, where it was like 
very informal um, without being um, overdone. And I talked to Vic when we got to the, the point about photography and I said, look, love what you did with American Spirit. Spirit, I want you to do a, a different angle with this one. I want you to like think about things a little bit uh, less formal, less catalog shots and more artistic shots, more shots where other people can kind of relate to them, like maybe at home or in a hotel room or something like that. Um, then at the same time, I want them to be high quality, um, which of course, on, Vic is only going to provide something like that. So, um, you know, I had just a, a good team and um, I had a lot of folks help me with uh, editing. Um, Taylor Cope, uh, who writes and edits Malt Review, he kind of went through the first round of editing and then um, I had a team of several editors at my publisher go through it. What What ended up becoming, you know, Wild Turkey Musings is really a celebration of everything I've done the last five years. And it turned out better than I could have ever imagined it. Um, artistically, stylistically, it just, um, thanks to some really talented individuals, um, this turned out better than I envisioned it. Like I was not, this is not the book that you have. If you have musings or if you're thinking about getting it, it is so much better than I ever imagined. I mean, I'm, I remember being on a barrel pick and um, in Kentucky and I was getting on a plane to come home and uh, Ricky sent me a text with some screenshots of the layout and, you know, Vic's pictures. It was the first time I, I saw what the book was going to look like and I'm on the plane and I get this text and I open it up and I mean, like, I almost kind of cried a little bit. Like, I was just like, damn, this is like really looking good. Like, this is like, like you have something in your head, but translating that to print is very difficult sometimes. And for someone to be able to do that, it, you know, and, and do it better than I imagined it, um, it really just made me happy. And I was just like, okay, this is going to be good. People are going to like this. Cause I worried so much from the first day of doing this, you know, would this, you know, I just didn't want it to be like a regurgitation of a blog, you know, cause what's the point in buying a book if, if like I can go out and get the material for free. And it turned out just so, just so wonderful. I'm just very, very, very happy. Um, and it's not just my uh, author's notes in there. Like, I mean, I've got a, an introduction and a, and a or an epilogue and a prologue that are, um, you know, completely new material. And then Fred's got a forward in there. Fred Minnick wrote the forward, um, and I've included some other little gems in there. Uh, the book is somewhat interactive too. Like, so there's places for you to fill in the blanks. Like, you know, you can list your favorite whiskeys or, you know, kind of jot in your favorite cocktail or. Um, just various places in the book. There's some maps there. Connor Query uh, had done some watercolor paintings for me um, based on some maps that Bo had actually created. Bo Garrett had created um, of all the, the, the Rickhouse campuses. And so she turned those into watercolors. And then Ricky was able to kind of transform those into like these maps that kind of work in that pirate book style that it just, it all just worked out. And I'm just, That's awesome. I'm sitting here like gushing about my own book. I, I should be embarrassed to do that, but um, it just turned out so much better than I thought it would. And to clarify, 
yes, it's the site says it's on pre-order. The release is technically February 2023 because of how publishing works, because you have to get these books into certain distributors that get them to certain stores. And so like the mom and pop Amazon type of release is February 2023. But I told my publisher, like, this is something I want people to have now because I've got Kickstarter supporters. I've got Patreon supporters. I've got people that follow me on social media. And and to be honest, the, the, the fifth year anniversary occurred in 2021. Here we are, 2022. I don't want to be 2023 for the fifth anniversary release. So um, if you order it through my publisher, which you can get that link through wildturkeybook.com, uh, but my publisher's mascot books, uh, they're also uh, under an imprint called uh, Amplify Publishing. But if you order it through my publisher, the book will mail the next day. So you buy it, you know, uh, today they'll mail it tomorrow and you'll have it then if you wait and like, you know, you just have to buy it on Amazon where you're going to have to wait till February. Um, but if you want it now and you buy it from a publisher, it says pre-order, but if you buy it from them, you'll get it shipped out immediately. Um, also eBooks are available through my publisher. If you purchase the eBook for a single $9.99 purchase, you get all three formats. You get PDF, you get iBooks, which is Apple, and you get um, the uh, Kindle version, which is Amazon. Yeah. So, David, you know, Brian and I have spent the week uh, reading your book, and uh, he's, a, he's a speed reader. I'm not such a speed reader. He's, <laughs> he's gotten through your book, and I'm, I'm about 70 pages in. But uh, I, I just have one comment, and that is that it's amazing – with a book of musings, this is a retrospective, right? This is right. this is you looking back and saying, "These are all the things that have brought me to where I am," and 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 and, and you're sort of bearing your soul in a lot of this. But the flow between one musing to the next is just so seamless. It just it just sort of well, thank you. It's almost yeah. It's it, that's that's what I noticed early on is that this this transition between one story to the next is just so comfortable. That was the most difficult part. It really was. Like writing about the post, doing my author's notes, that was pretty easy because you just tell, you know, you just tell the truth like this is what I was doing at the time or this is how I felt at the time and and the and the words just come. But having to cut posts and add posts, it was so difficult. Like there were posts I left out that I wanted to be in there, but they just didn't fit the flow. Like there was one, um, uh, a post I have that's called uh, drink shaming and ice Turkey Yeti or something like that. Like I really like that post because it's, I, I, I really hate drink shaming. I feel like drink shaming is like the worst part of our hobby and yeah. um, outside of counterfeit. And, um, but I didn't include it because it kind of interrupted things. It didn't really like flow with the Turkey conversation. And there were some other ones, too, I had to cut. Um, I debated on cutting the best of posts because I, I worried that they would be redundant. Like, it would be like, okay, here we are. We're just going through the list of the best of again. But at the same time, I had people reach out to me and say, when you do your book, please do the best of posts in there. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, it's a good way to kind of snapshot where Turkey was at the time in a very critical time in its life because we're coming out of. Campari purchasing wild turkey out of some 
you know, nothing against Pernod, but some rather stale years there towards the end with a Pernod ownership. And, you know, I think it was important to kind of show how a lot of these expressions that people knew on a regular basis back then had now become something even greater now. And then the addition of all new lines like Masters Keep and uh, various Russell's expressions that were new, um, like the rye, uh, single barrel rye. I think that um, it was important to have those in there, as well as some of these one-off things or annual things like single cast nation. Uh, These are important expressions because Turkey doesn't bottle single barrels at barrel proof. So, you know, people need to know that these things exist, whether they had a chance to taste them or not. It was very, very, very difficult picking out which pieces would I use and which would I not. And I went through probably, Jim, I probably went through three or four versions of the book as a manuscript before I finally had one that I could send to Fred that I felt comfortable with Fred reading it and, you know, wanting to do a forward or, or a, well, I asked him and, you know, on, honestly, how that went down too was, um, you know, the, the, I'd asked Fred to do the forward for American spirit and I just didn't hear back from him. And, um, uh, you know, Aaron Goldfarb had, had, has done a lot of great stuff for me over the years. And, and, uh, so I reached out to Aaron and he was like, man, I'd love to. And then after the book came out, Fred was like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said I was going to do the forward. And uh, and I was like, well, you can do the next one, buddy. And uh, so, uh, but bef- before I sent it to him, um, I wanted to make sure it was right and something that he would be um, happy with and, and proud to do a forward for because um, I admire Fred's writing um, tremendously. You know, I've read his bourbon books. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I remember when I first got into whiskey, my wife bought bourbon curious for me and um i read that in two sittings like all within a 24-hour period and i was just like man i'd love to do a bourbon book one day and here i am you know so that was really cool to have you know fred author that forward so i agree with everything that jim said this book is you know it's put together very very well a very easy read it has a great flow to it and, you know, my family grew up in Lawrenceburg, so there's some, you know, pretty cool things that I've been able to talk to different family members about uh, that you talk about in the book, which which has been pretty cool for me. A couple of chapters that really stood out to me. Um, the first one is chapter eight, uh, the hacking, hacking wild turkey. Yeah. So I'll be honest, like that chapter just kind of blew my mind. I was reading and I was like this, like this is awesome. And, and to see what your thoughts were behind it, I was already captivated, but then it went to a whole nother level when I hit chapter eight. So one of the thoughts that I had was, uh, you know, have you, have you done any blends outside of wild turkey with other brands using, you know, one of the wild turkey expressions that you had yeah. and just testing out some different things I, there. I mean, I'm constantly playing around with stuff like, you know, like what would this taste like blended with that? Um, you know, uh, I even did this, uh, this line last year, uh, and the year before of old fashioned cocktails that were pre-bottled. I even had like a label made. They're not for sale. They were just given to friends, but like, 
you know, so I would blend, I call them the dirty bird because it's turkey blended with something else. So I'd find like this good blend and then add bitters and, and simple syrup and, 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 you know, probably make a couple bottles worth and then put them in like 200 milliliter bottles and put a sticker on them. And I had like an old fashioned thing. I'd give it to people for, for gifts. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly like blending whiskeys together just to see like what they might taste like. And every once in a while, I'll come up with something that's just really works well. Um, Russell's 10 year is a very good whiskey to blend with. Um, if you take Russell's 10 year and you add it to something more often than not, you're going to end up with something that's interesting at the least, sometimes better than what you started with. Um, uh, for example, I, 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 I've blended Russell's 10 year with Knob Creek 12 50, 50, and that is a wonderful blend. Um, I've done Russell's 10 year with wilderness trail, single barrel rye. Um, and that's turned out really, really wonderful. I've had a lot of things that didn't turn out so great, but those two right off the top of my head. Um, that chapter was fun because that's kind of playing off Aaron's book, uh, Hacking Whiskey. So I'd mentioned Aaron Goldfar before. Um, he had uh, written Hacking Whiskey, which he included me in a couple pages of that. Um, but um, it's fun to take something like a turkey expression like that you know is a, a blend of certain ages, like WB Saffle, for example. You know, we... We knew it was six, eight, 10, and 12-year-old bourbon. We didn't know percentages and this type of thing. So it was fun. At home, I played with that, and I came up with something that was about the same proof and tasted a lot like WB Saffle, and I called it WB Hackle. And uh, so I've, I've done stuff like that. It was, it was fun deconstructing Forgiven, which is in that Hacking Whiskey chapter, uh, coming up with that bourbon rye blend at home and side by side tasting it to the actual forgiven and getting as close as possible to at least batch 303. Um, that was a lot of fun. There's a theme in, in the book because there's more than, than a post one post about that. There's other blend whiskey blend posts. I'm going to say posts because they were blog posts, but whiskey blend chapters in that book. Um, there's, there's several of them in there. And, and the point is, that you can have fun with whiskey by playing out of bounds. You know, like you don't have to just open the bottle, pour it and sip it and like it or don't like it. That's one way to do it. But you can do other things with it. I mean, and, and that's really Aaron's book, Hacking Whiskey, is, is that to the 10th the, the, the level is like fat washing and and you know, just doing crazy experiments with it and, and secondary, you know, finishes and home casks and these types of things, um, syrups and whatnot. Um, so there's a lot of fun to be had with what you've got on hand. You just have to think outside the box. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing, David. I, I, I've always enjoyed doing blends of my own. I, I, I don't always get it right. In fact, more often than not, I don't get it right. But every now and then, I put together something that's uh, exceptional or fun or or certainly something that I enjoy. I've always been a fan of W.B. Saffle, and I, 
I did try your hacking Saffle thing at one point, and I, I think I got pretty close. I was pretty happy with it. You know, Saffle's a wonderful pour. It is. Uh, and, uh, and you know, it, the 375 kind of catches you a little by surprise because it's a little more expensive for a half bottle, right? But um, it was nice to play with that and get close, and I was impressed by it. Another thing in the book, I want to talk about your, uh, uh, you know, everything you write is always your truth, right? It's always David Jennings truth. It's what, how he feels about a particular subject. But one of the things you did with this book is you did have a fiction article yeah. where you, <laughs> where you kind of talked about the I dabbled in it, didn't I? <laughs> you dabbled in it. And, and I, I, I just wonder if you ever had a chance to find out how close you got with that, maybe you could fill our, our listeners in a little bit. You know, I really, I never got the, the story. Which is why I made it up because I'm like, okay, because how that went down was um, I had gotten a, because this was for, okay, I remember exactly now. So they had that uh, Angels Share uh, charity thing. Um, I, I may be getting the name wrong, but it was like in 2018, I think. And it was uh, a charity thing that the master distillers went to each other's distilleries and picked barrels and then they auctioned off the, the bottles. Um, uh, or I think you paid like a, a premium for them or something. And uh, so there was that charity bottle and it was like Rick house B or something like that was the actual charity bottle. So when this master distiller selection showed up at the distillery with like, I think it was Rick house D all this going from memory. Um, I I was like, oh, okay, this is a cool barrel. I wonder wonder why Eddie picked this one. So I sent Eddie a, a message on Instagram, and I was like, hey, uh, what's the story on this this barrel? And he's like, oh, I picked it with with uh, Fred and and Chris and Jimmy. And I was like, wait a minute, I thought that was the the B, you know, for the charity things. Like, not nah, we did that one too. And um, so I was like, whoa, okay. So I guess they did a couple of them and then maybe just one went to the charity thing and the other one just went to the distillery or something. So I didn't, I didn't want to, I don't want to bo- bother Eddie. I'm not going to like blow up, blow up his, I'm not that person. Like I rarely ever try to message, you know, Eddie. I mean, I, I can text him if I need to or email if I need to, but I don't like to, to be that person. So I just kind of take things like I got an answer. I'm just going to roll with it, and especially back then. And, um, so I'm like, well, I wonder what that was like and everything. I just got to thinking about it. And I'm like, I'm just going to make up shit. <laughs> like, but I'm going <laughs> to tell people I'm making up shit and I'm going to have fun doing it. And uh, so that's what that post is. It's just, I mean, I, I, I state very clearly that it's, it's fiction, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, I had a lot of fun writing that because, you know, in, in, it, it is very much kind of overdone in a way. Like, you know, it's 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 somewhat over dramatized and cartoonish one might argue but that was the point it was to be humorous you know it was it was to kind yeah. of you know show that turkey's the best you know even when when other legends are sitting in the room you know <laughs> and uh so i'm glad yeah. you, you mentioned that one because it, it's it's complete bullshit but uh you know i had a lot of fun writing it and i'm not a i don't write narratives uh very often i don't write fiction at all you know so that was a fun one to do i just i just wonder if you ever got chris morse's take on that <laughs> <laughs> he probably looked at it was like who's this guy <laughs> you know? but uh 
Yeah, I did. I did. I did have fun, you know, and it, it doesn't really, you know, paint him or, or, uh, you know, Fred in the, in the best light. I mean, it's, it, it's of course poking fun. You it's know. poking fun. Yeah. It's poking yeah. fun. And, uh, it, it, with, with all due respect to, to those master distillers who are, who are great in their own right. Um, but you know, it's a Turkey blog, so you're going to lose. <laughs> so, sure. Uh, sure. Well, I mean, it, it was an enjoyable read for me. I mean, Brian got way further in the book than I did, but, uh, I enjoyed a couple of things in particular. One was, uh, Obviously, that that fiction section there, uh, that was a lot of fun. Also, when you talked about the eras of wild turkey and sort of breaking down the different, uh, you know, kind of the eras that the that the brand went through and how things yeah. changed over time. And you know, I think about my first experience with wild turkey, and uh, I was living in Ohio, and it was 1981, and I became of age, 18 years old. In Ohio at that time, 18 years got you into a bar. Now, you were only supposed to drink beer at that time at 18. <laughs> that was the law. But once you're in the bar, they don't care. Yeah, right? yeah. So, what are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. So I'm drinking some uh, Wild Turkey 8-Year 101 from 1981. And that's why I mentioned I have a little bit of that because that's kind of my – that was my whiskey, right? That was the one that – introduced me to wild turkey back in 81 i've sort of put my age on the table there but well I, uh, what's cool is that's in my sentimental whiskey chapter that's listed as one of my sentimental whiskeys is is that 81 wild turkey 101 if i'm if i if i'm going from memory correctly um, that's a glut era whiskey though according to your yeah, era chart right definitely definitely a, a glut era whiskey and you know, it was a it was a time when the barrels were plentiful and the money was not. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Um, and and you can taste it because some of those Glut Era eight year bottlings. I mean, there are some that rival some of the twelve year bottlings. I mean, I'm going to be honest, maybe not of the same year, but like that eighty one one hundred one. I would put it up against like you know a mid nineties one hundred one twelve any day. Um, yeah, just just there's just so much going on there, and 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 it's like I've asked Eddie about it before, you know, because people are always like, well, "What makes dusty whiskey or dusty turkey taste like dusty turkey?" And they have all kinds of theories about the water and the cypress tanks and the entry proof and all this, and all all those theories are not wrong, and they all play a role in it for sure. Um, but as Eddie has stated on more than one occasion, there's just a lot of older whiskey in those bottlings, so. You know, it may say 101 eight years, but it's probably got some like 14 year whiskey in there just because they had to do something with it. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. this barrel is going to turn if we don't dump it. So just go ahead and dump it, you know. And we see that every now and then with just a standard wild turkey 101 expression, right? Some older barrels find their way into a particular batch and the profile moves a little bit and you get to experience yep. that. Not doesn't move a lot because they're very careful about that, I think. But you get a little movement. Yeah, I mean there 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 is variance in the batches for sure. I mean, maybe not month to month or even within a year, but you know, if you start comparing year to year or maybe every two years or every three years, you will pick up that there there's definitely some batch variance there. Um you know, not as much as you would experience as something like a single barrel where the, the variance can be extreme even in like the same month, you know. Um, mm -hmm. That's the nature of a single barrel. Um, but yes, yeah, for sure. So 
there's one thing that I would like you to explain to our listeners, because not everybody understands when somebody says wild turkey funk, right? It's a kind of a special thing. But what is wild turkey funk? What's that funk that makes wild turkey kind of special? And and how has that changed over the years? When it comes to wild turkey funk, I think there's like multiple definitions because, you know, you can have someone that's never tasted it before and they taste wild turkey 101 for the first time and they they, they have a hard time kind of putting words to exactly what they're tasting. They'll say, oh, there's just something different here. You know, it's like it's kind of funky or something, you know. Um and then you'll have somebody that maybe tastes something dusty from the 70s and like, wow, this has this like, this crazy funk to it. Um, or maybe they taste something that's like really hyper-aged, like the bottled and bond, okay, that, that you just tasted. And they say, man, this has got this crazy funk to it. And there really is no, like, if you ask Jimmy about wild turkey funk, he's just going to laugh at you. I mean, there's like, they don't, he doesn't have any clue what you're talking about with the you know, the wild turkey funk, he's not gonna laugh at you, but he might laugh at the thought of, you know, what the, the, what, what is funk, you know? Um, I think that it's multiple things to multiple different people and viewpoints. Um, you know, I, I can see where someone gets kind of like some barnyard notes maybe in 101 every once in a while, like hay or something like that. And like, that's wild turkey funk. Or maybe they're, you know, nosing like an 81-101 like you have and they get some like fermented fruit notes um, and, and they think, okay, well, this is really funky, you know. Um, or maybe they've gotten this barrel pick that just came out last year, the year before, like, like maybe one of these E's like I was, like I've been sipping on um, and they say, wow, this has this weird like fruity funk to it. So I don't think that there is a wild turkey funk like like that's the same for everybody i think it's like depends on the expression and the year it was bottled and how old it was and there's just so many factors to that there's dusty funk and then there's modern whiskey with kind of funky notes to it but it's hard to nail down exactly a universal definition for wild turkey funk. I think it's just something that sets it apart from other whiskeys is probably the best way to define it. And you, okay. you have to kind of experience it. You know, you can't explain it. So best I can do on that one. Well, I think that's good enough for me. I always think of it as this musty oak kind of flavor from the old dusties that funk you get, but yeah, uh, everybody takes it different. Yeah, I mean, dusty funk to me is is one type of thing. And like, if you have a lot of other dusty whiskeys, the dusty funk that you get on wild turkey is very similar to the dusty funk that you get on some other whiskeys too. And, you know, what causes that? Tons of different stuff. <laughs> you know, the water isn't reverse osmosis stuff. They weren't chill filtering. They had Cypress tanks. You know, they weren't using automated equipment to kind of make sure everything was exactly the same every time. The grains were different. The oak was different. I mean, so many factors. And like as Eddie has said before, there's a lot of older whiskey going into that stuff. So even if it, unless it's like a bottled and bond, and you've locked down the exact, you know, distilled date, bottled date, um, you know, you could have like a six year that has twelve year in it. Who knows? You know, it just depends yeah. on the brand and that type of thing. So, all right, very cool. So I guess if we have a couple more minutes. Uh, the 
I guess really it's a good segue to my next question was, you know, chapter 11 and what's a dusty, like what is a dusty? And I think you do a great job of kind of walking through that, that it's not always necessarily a a bottle from, you know, 1914. As with many things in whiskey, there is a lot of room for interpretation and a lot of it depends on your perspective and when you got started in things like I've seen people like they'll find like a bottle, like a 2014 bottle of wild turkey 101. Like, look, I found this 101 dusty, you know, it's like, I mean, dusty for you. But, you know, when you've had like 70s and 80s wild turkey, stuff like that, you don't really look at that like a dusty. But like if you're just getting into the hobby and all you've had is the latest stuff and you find something from eight or nine years ago to you. That is different. And so it becomes a dusty. Um, it, it's it's really hard to nail that kind of stuff down. I tried to in that chapter. I tried to say, okay, well, like I kind of look at things like, well, is it at least 10 years old? Because like, you know, I feel like it kind of like you start crossing that. If it's sitting in a store for 10 years, we're starting to kind of inch into that dusty territory as in nobody wanted it. And it's just sitting there and it represents a profile from another decade. So at least you can say, well, that's kind of a snapshot of another time because it's a decade ago. So, but even that is not a hard line. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to kind of like, you know, if, 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 if you found old granddad from 10 years ago, would you call it dusty old granddad? Probably not, you know? So it, uh, there's so many factors that, you know, define what a dusty is. Um, and there's people that get mad about it too. There's like, that's not a dusty and you know, dusty is like 1970s so-and-so or whatever. And it's like, I mean, but to these people it is so chill, you know, like, you know, they haven't had, they just got started in the hobby. They're, they're happy to find something from, you know, years ago. So if they want to call it a dusty, let them call it a dusty. But to me, I think that, you know, I look at it like, okay, what's the profile is at least 10 years old, that kind of thing. So I mean, I've got a, a Kentucky spirit from 2015 that tastes like 80s turkey. I ain't joking you. It's, I don't know what the heck happened or where what this barrel lived in or what happened, but you can talk to the other people that have had it and picked up the other bottles, and they will swear to you I'm right, that it, it's from Holmes Liquor in Georgia, and it's, uh, it, it tastes like dusty turkey. I don't know how to explain it, but it does. Well, it's great to have all those listeners out there that are finding these things and, and sh- shouting out to you and saying, oh, check this out, right? Or Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's always fun. And I don't ever poo-poo on anybody's, you know, find. Like, you know, if, I mean, maybe spiced. <laughs> you know, if you send me a message, you're like, look what I found. I'm going to be like, eh, okay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> enjoy that, buddy. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it, it's it's cool. I mean, you know, you find something that's been sitting around on a shelf for a while, especially these days, like, you know, just for something to sit on the shelf for five years is kind of an accomplishment. It's probably crap whiskey, but maybe not. Maybe you really lucked out and found something cool that's been sitting there for five years. Um, yeah. So. Well, David, uh, you know, we could we could talk to you for hours. It's always fun. Yeah, it's fun, but it's not reasonable for a podcast episode, right? I mean, we can only hold their attention for so long. I got hungry so kids, long. man. I got hungry kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we really enjoyed it. We always love having you on the show. It's it's a great time. You've got so much going on. We didn't Dude. touch on all the things you're doing, but you are uh, you're killing it out there. Oh, thank you, man. Constantly killing it. And 
And more than anything, I think it's 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 fair to note how real you are. Oh, I appreciate that. In your opinions and in the words that you write, and certainly in the books that you put out, uh, you you don't get much more real than uh, DJ David Jennings oh, for Bird One Hundred and One. Well, thank you. I do have a lot of stuff in the works, and I can't wait to share on episode four. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> great. Well, we would like you to. Take just a minute here, if, if you have time, and just let our listeners know where they can find you, where they can get your book, where they can uh, find out more about your uh, your blog and your Patreon and all the things you do have immediately going on. And we'll definitely have you back again, for sure. Okay, so yeah, if you, if you want to find my blog, it's at rarebird101.com. You'll find plenty of wild turkey reviews there, articles about wild turkey and my travels doing barrel picks and and various uh wild turkey related events um and as well as news press releases these types of things um for more information about my books you can go to wildturkeybook.com uh there are links there to purchase the books uh in e-format and uh in print um and if you're interested in supporting uh, my writing, you can go to patreon.com slash rearbird101. Um, as I've mentioned before, I do barrel picks and uh, those barrel picks, while you know they sometimes go public, they usually sell out with my Patreon supporters first because they're notified first. So uh, check that out again, patreon.com slash rearbird101. And thank you, uh, Brian and Jim, for, for having me. Uh, this was a lot of fun and um, I always enjoy uh, doing the Bourbon Road podcast. Good, good show here. <laughs> Awesome, David. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out uh, from your busy schedule, from your kids and your dogs and everything else you have going on. Life is real, right? We all have other things. Man, and- I tell you what, it's it's <laughs> been crazy. For any listeners, if you heard some background noise, that that's life, man. <laughs> it's always a blast to have you on the show. Anytime you're in Kentucky, look us up. We'd love to have a pour with you. Uh, it's always fun to sit down and sip on a few wild turkey expressions and and talk about this particular brand and the detail that you're able to take us through. It's always a journey. We always enjoy it. David, you've been on the show three times now. Uh, I think we've got one other guest that's ahead of you. Ashley Barnes, I think, has been on four times. But one of you okay. will hit number five first. I'm not sure who it'll be. but <laughs> <laughs> We'll get there. But we'll get there. It's always a blast to have you on. We wish you all the luck in the world with your new book and everything you have going on. We'll be shouting to the to the stars, everything you have going on, because we really enjoy having you around. David, thank you again for being on the Bird Road. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right, listeners. Well, we thank you for sticking around for a little bit longer than normal episode with David Jennings from Rare Bird 101. Brian and I had an awesome time sitting down with him and drinking through a number of wild turkey expressions. It's been a blast. It's, It's actually been phenomenal reading through his latest book. If you get a chance to order... Uh, wild turkey musings i definitely suggest you do it uh david mentioned on the show how you can uh get with his publisher and and order a copy of that book to get it shipped out immediately if you don't mind the wait you can always go to amazon.com search for david jennings or wild turkey musings and put it on pre-order you won't get it till february but hey you'll still get it anyway it's a great read uh maybe when it comes in you can pour yourself a, a nice wild turkey 101 and just uh, sit back and enjoy a nice read you can find the bourbon road on all social medias you can find us on instagram tiktok facebook youtube you can find us 
on the internet on our website, thebourbonroad.com. You can also find us on our private Facebook group, The Bourbon Roadies. It's about 3,000 of our wonderful listeners who really find it enjoyable to revisit our podcast and listen from time to time. They love to go into the group and talk about bourbon, talk about the podcast episodes. More importantly, they love to share whiskey amongst each other. Sharing pours of your favorite bourbon, as we talked about in this episode, is something special. We all love to do it. Uh, We'd love to have you be a bourbon roadie. It's real easy. Just get onto Facebook, search The Bourbon Roadies. A private group link will come up. Click on it. Join. Answer a few questions and come on in. We will welcome you with open arms. We do a show every single week. Uh, we'll have a guest on. Brian and I will uh, drink through a number of expressions. We'll Sometimes we'll have a an author or sometimes a musician or sometimes a master distiller, somebody in the industry that's, that's making news and, and making it happen. We love to have them on the show. We hope you listen to our show every single week. The way to make sure you don't miss one is to go onto that podcast app you're listening to us on right now and subscribe hit that subscribe button that plus button that remind me button whatever button is coming up in your podcast make sure you set it to remind you when a podcast is coming out and you'll get that ding notification to let you know that us two jokers have another show coming out we hope you enjoy it you can always reach out to us on our website that's where we prefer you can send us emails also uh, you can uh, send an email to team at the bourbon road.com. Brian and I both get it. We'll be happy to respond. If you've got an idea for a bottle or a guest on the show, we get them all the time. We'll definitely take it from there every single week. We hope you come into our bar, come into our studio, listen to what we have going on. We always have a blast doing it, but until next time, we'll see you on down the bourbon road. <laughs>